0: Podcastle Episode 103 for May 11th, 2010, Adder of Roses by Sharon Mock. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, and today we're going to take you into the darkly lit Labyrinthian passages and chambers of magic and royalty for a tale about the most dangerous sorcery of all, love. And what story about desire wouldn't be complete without gifts of flowers or the sweet, intoxicating fragrances of perfume? Adder of Rose is the steam-extracted essential oil from roses. that has been used in perfumes for centuries. It can be used in food, too. Rose water, made from the rose oil, is widely used in Asian and Middle Eastern culture. The French are known for their rose syrup, most commonly made from an extract of rose petals. In the United States, we use it to make marshmallows. Hmm. Maybe not so romantic, but regardless, it takes many many pounds of rose petals to make a single ounce of oil. I'm very pleased to present to you all today Adder of Roses by the incredibly talented Sharon Mock. Her work's been published at Fantasy Magazine, Realms of Fantasy, and Coyote Wild. This story was originally published online at Clarkswold Magazine. Sharon's also a graduate of Viable Paradise, a workshop for science fiction and fantasy writers. For writers, I can't recommend Viable Paradise enough. It's a week-long workshop in the beautiful Martha's Vineyard, and this year the instructors include John Scalzi, Elizabeth Bear, Jim McDonald, and Deborah Doyle, among others. It's a great experience for writers, and a bunch of authors you may be familiar with from the Escape Artist Podcast family have attended, such as Greg Van Eekout, N.K. Jemison, Margaret Ronald, David Barr-Kirtley, Mer Lafferty, Anna Schwint, Steve Ely, myself, and many, many others. They're accepting applications for this year up until June 30th, which gives anyone interested a little more than a month. I think I can say that in all honesty, Viable Paradise was an experience that changed my life. So if you're at all curious, check out sff.net slash paradise for more information. The story today is narrated for you by Deborah Green. She's working on a novel right now, and when she's not writing, she teaches sewing and pattern making. It's so fast, so easy in New York. Which reminds me, she's also narrated several stories for SkatePod, including one of Anna's favorites, Serapinus' Seamstress. You can find out more about Deborah at DeborahGreen.net. So breathe in deeply the perfume of flowers, remember that every rose has its thorns, and enjoy the story.
1: Atter of Roses by Sharon Mock The shadow of my father's citadel falls over me and still I tremble. Still I look perpetually over my shoulder as though you follow me, you who are banished from this land forever. In my fever I think it is you who dries the leaves on the trees, blows away the petals of the rose. But no, it is only autumn, nothing more. My father will be heartbroken, and you, you cannot lend me words to explain what I have done. They say that when I was born, blossoms spread on the rose bushes outside my mother's birthing chamber. They say that where I step, blood road petals spring from the earth. The first, my father tells me, is a legend. The second has been known to happen on occasion, though only by my design. I was born in the northern mountains, far from the great confederacies where my father nurtured his magic without interference. His was the power of the earth. Roots of stone and springs of water. My gifts, on the other hand, were merely decorative. Grace and beauty and youth, forever born anew in spring. Sorcerers traveled from the trade lands to court me. Rosalia, Blossom of the North. I would have none of them. My father sent them all away. Far better for me to grant my grace at my father's side. Take my consorts from the young men of the city make our land a well-defensed paradise. For centuries, I believed that this was the life for which I was intended. My father hated the West. Great sorcerers ruled great nations through conquest and slavery, not the treaties and alliances that governed our more civilized lands. He never spoke of the reasons for his enmity, so I assumed the lords had offended him in some way. We could not afford to abolish all intercourse with the Western nations. When caravans and emissaries arrived at our citadel, I was banished to my chambers, forbidden to set eyes on the barbarians. But I knew the secret passages of my father's citadel at least as well as he did, and when I tired of my ignorance, I slipped out to catch sight of one of these Westerners for myself." I needed no lantern to navigate the darkness. I had played here often enough as a child, and used the passages when I wished to go down to the city, though my father would not have cared if I had left by the front door. As though by instinct I found myself at the ledge that overlooked the audience chamber. The spy hole was camouflaged within the whirls of my father's throne, so I had a perfect view of the westerner. He had not the courtesy to clean himself before the audience. He wore traveling clothes, dull with dirt, and his yellow-white hair clung to his narrow head. He spoke of grain monopolies in a tedious drone, and my father responded with far more courtesy than the man deserved. Then, as my father consulted with his minister, the westerner's gaze came to rest on the throne. It was as though our eyes met, though reason said he could not see me. Still my heart rushed and pounded, my knees gave way, and I had to wait until my strength returned before I could retreat to my chambers again. I should have known, even then. The citadel obeys my father's will. He could have kept me in my rooms, the very stones locking me away. Yet only now do I realize he cared not for what I saw, as long as I remained unseen. All he wanted was to keep me hidden from you. That winter, a solitary emissary came to our citadel, bearing a seeing stone. When my father gazed into it, he saw a path of fresh green grass, cutting through the snow. A constellation of southern armies set upon it. You knew of my existence, the girl who made the roses bloom. Even in the civilized east, the Avanark had many allies. You asked for my hand in marriage and made certain my father could not refuse it. My father came to me with the terms you had set. His eyes were red, his face worn and polished as river stone. He had aged a hundred years since I had greeted him that morning. He lay the scroll on my lap and shook his head. You don't have to do this, my daughter, he told me, in a voice stung with grief. I read over the scroll the promises of extravagant dowry, and did not understand. You could flee across the ocean where his agents... Why should I flee? Look to the west, beyond the mountains. See the power that lies in that accursed realm. Then you'll understand. I did as my father bade me. Shut my eyes. Let my perception travel westward along root and bow. Out of my father's holdings through snowbound passes and wild forest. The sweet scent of loam and sap took on a cloying edge the promise of rot. Rosalía, the wind whispered my name like petals on silk. Come to me, let me look at you. Fear overcame my arrogance then, and I opened my eyes. The smell of dead roses clung to the back of my throat. It is a travesty, my father said. I would not give you to him for all the world. Then why don't you send him away like the others? With trembling hands, my father passed the seeing stone to me. I saw then, and knew what would happen if he refused you. Your eastern agents would kill him, claiming our holdings and our powers for their own. Then, and here was a message not intended for my father, but for me and only having heard your whispered voice could I perceive it. Then your agents would hunt me down and bring me back to you, to serve not as betrothed, but as slave. I looked up from the stone into my father's face. I will go to him. I kept my voice steady, full of solemnity and sorrow, yet my heart leapt with exultation. Here was what I had been born for. Here was the life that awaited me, rich and decadent, flowers twining in the bones of a corpse. He shut his eyes, pressing back tears, valiant as stone. He handed me a golden locket, and out of respect I did not open it, as much as I desired to see your face. He turned from me, stopped at the doorway, hands grabbing the lentil. He has outlived dozens of wives, my daughter, he said. Do not think you'll be the exception. On the day I was to leave my father's citadel, word came that you were dead. Another sorceress had slain your body, sundered your spirit, set herself up as queen in your place. My father wept for joy at the news. I did not weep, not in my father's presence, lest he perceive the nature of my tears. I knew I should have been glad for my reprieve for your love would have consumed and destroyed me. You never promised me anything different. But you had chosen me, plucked me from my father's vine, whispered to me secretly through those long nights. I slept with your locket under your pillow to dream of your fair face. With you gone, my purpose was gone as well. Decades passed. The sorceress who had murdered you in turn let her own life be forfeit, gave the land over to men without magic. The new regime banished all sorcery, replaced true power with common machines. Many refused to deal with such barbarians, but my father had no such scruples. He was happy to trade with the West, now that my betrothed posed no threat. The breach of my engagement changed me. I was no longer the first blush of spring, but the decadence of midsummer. Bees among the roses, fruit ripe on the vine. My step was heavy. The scent of crushed petals lingered as I passed. One midsummer there came a man from the West. He was nothing like you. A trader and a trader's son. Not a thimbleful of power in him. Yet he was handsome enough, bright and cheerful. My every movement fascinated him. He was in love with magic. Drunk on it, as only those born outside its grasp can be. I let Parlan woo me, encouraged him with fair words and smiles, let my heart warm with the thought of his presence. He knew nothing of my true age or nature. Never did I speak of you to him. Enough that he knew I had been once betrothed, widowed before I wed. I could not tell him that my betrothed had died in his grandfather's day that his homeland made a holiday of your annihilation. When the time came for him to return to his homeland, he asked me to come away with him. I agreed. Let him spirit me away in the night. I told myself I was lonely, too lonely to spare a thought for my father. My heart had been sworn to the West. I had to see for myself the fate I had escaped. But I must have known I had lied to myself, even then but the truth was too shameful to admit. Parlin promised me his hand in marriage. I knew the offer was empty, even if he did not. His family had power and standing. He'd not be allowed to marry a woman from the sorceress East. But I said nothing, for I wished my lover to see me as less than what I was. As soon as we approached within ten leagues of my lover's homeland, I understood why he had fallen for me so. The air stunk of smoke and oil, and the sun's rays struggled weakly through the cloudless sky. Trees dropped leaves and branches. Crops grew pale and lanky as though starved of energy. Animal carcasses littered the ditches, feeding unfamiliar and misshapen vermin. Of course, I thought. You had drawn your strength from the currents of nature, just like me. Your murder had turned this land against itself. I did not know. I was still innocent. I had no way to see the truth. At night I wept despite myself. Wept at the thought of being trapped in this blighted land. I told Parlin it was homesickness. Close enough to the truth. I'd lived too long in my father's artificial paradise. I'd grow accustomed to this place in time. I never did meet the man who was supposed to become my father-in-law. Parlin set me up in an apartment in a fashionable district of the city and went to share the good news. He returned predictably in tears, one cheek red. He won't hear of it. He says he'll disown me. Oh, Rosalia, my only love, I will do right by you. I swear it, I'll find work, I'll... I placed my hand on his cheek to silence him to guide his handsome face toward mine. Hush, I said, you will not lose me. You need not think of my honor. Don't you see I gave that all up when I followed you? He wept and cursed, but in the end his courage did not match his intentions. His father set up a hasty marriage to a woman below his station, one who could not afford to dishonor even a loveless marriage of convenience. In exchange for this public show of respectability, Parlin was allowed to keep me as his mistress. I cared nothing for my reputation, nor the gifts my lover brought to assuage his guilt. It was a small price to pay for being here, in this hateful city that would have, should have been our shared domain. It was the cusp of autumn when the stranger came to my door, a woman as tall as a man, dressed in a plain gray suit, dark hair and fashionably short. Even for a westerner, she kept close self-possession, so I could not read the simplest thing about her. But I was not easy to intimidate, and I greeted her with an innocuous smile. You are Rosalia, the woman asked, her harsh intonation robbing my name of all poetry. I am. Have we been acquainted? For I fear... We have not. Surely she was an agent of my lover's father. Come to send me home. I stood aside and let the woman enter. She stepped only far enough to allow the door to close, and then looked me over with eyes of a blue so pale they might as well have had no color at all. Why are you here, she asked me. I cast my eyes downward. I realize I've been too foolish and too forward, I murmured my accent thicker than I usually allowed it. Forgive me, I have been in love. Surely you must understand this. I'd meant it as a stupid aside, the words of a coquette. Yet the woman stared, cold and sharp, as though I'd touched the truth. This was not somebody to be made the fool by love. This isn't a place for you, princess. You should go home. Princess? What had Parlin said about me? Didn't he understand the danger? You mistake me, I began. No, I do not. As she spoke, she let her self-control loosen so that I might see what lay beneath. Energy, subdued, controlled. Iron and fire and human will, each in precisely measured components. The woman before me was a sorceress in her own right and her skill and power put my own to shame. I gave up playing at innocence. I don't understand. There is a reason, she said, why sorcery has been abolished in this land. You might believe it is to protect the powerless from those who would exploit them, but perhaps it is to protect the sorcerers from themselves. Go home, Rosalia. You have seen what the Avanark did to this land. There is nothing for you here. I looked at her curiously. Did she know my history? The sorceress who had overthrown the Avanark was dead, executed under the new laws of this nation, but sorcerers are notoriously difficult to kill. And if I choose to stay? She shut her eyes, and when she opened them again, she no longer met my gaze. Then I suppose I'll clean up after you, when you're done. The years in that blighted land passed long as centuries. I saw my lover more and more seldom, and out of respect for him I took no other man. He had given me what I wanted, and I had only myself to blame if I was dissatisfied with the results. The words of the Western sorceress lingered in my mind. I could not say why her visit had aroused such fear, yet I dared not indulge myself even with flowers in winter, lest I draw suspicion. After several years my lover came to me, his eyes red with the tears that came so naturally to him. My wife is with child, he told me. I turned away. I knew he lied. He'd tired of the forbidden and exotic. That was all. To be thrown aside for a common woman stung my pride. But the poison of the land had taken hold of my veins, and I could not stir myself to anger. Go to her, I said. She needs you now. Rosalía. he gasped. I'm so sorry. I had no doubt. Pity tempted me to turn and comfort him. He'd never been strong of will, even at his best. He'd be better off without me. I was grateful to him, I realized. Grateful even for the lie. He had set me free. My thoughts grew clear again, and I knew what I had come to this land to do. Would you not think they would make the site of your downfall a monument, the spot where your blood soaked the soil a place of pilgrimage? They have not. Instead, they have locked it away, set guards around the perimeter to keep your legacy inviolate. I passed through like shadow leaving behind nothing but the breath of roses. It is a crater now where once stood your citadel. Somewhere there would have been your throne and mine beside you. Somewhere there would have been your bedchamber, where we would have been made as one. No animals moved across the barren ground. No night-hunting bird crossed the moon overhead. Yet the air was thick with the scent of grass and blossom, welcoming me. I fell to my knees. The hardpan cracked and turned to loam under my hands. My fingers were roots prying through the soil, hungry for what little power you might have left for me. I breathed in deeply of the blood and rot that feeds the battlefield, coaxes brambles from the bones of the grave. Finally, you've come. I was starting to lose hope. The plain grew gray and faded, and before me stood a being of light. It showed me the face I had seen in the locket, but it was only an image it wore, as I might put on an embroidered gown for company. This creature had never been human. My father was so looking forward to meeting you, Rosalia, Mountain Rose of the North. How precious you must be to be kept so carefully hidden away from him. A foul wind stirred the hair at the nape of my neck like a caress. There were things about sorcery I only knew from their absence. Books my father refused to read. Lessons he refused to teach. Tales he refused to share. I had no words for the being that stood before me. Naked and glorious. Skin bright as congealed starlight. What are you? I breathed, tasting perfume at the roof of my mouth. I am the Avanark's only son, the only one that matters. He reached out to me, brought me to my feet. Do you want to see? I did not, but the spirit left me no choice in the matter. It bent forward as though to kiss me, infusing me with its presence. And I saw what you had done. I heard the screams of children and tasted the tears of their mothers. Blood suffused my vision like a veil. How had I gone so long without knowing the power that lies in sacrifice? My father had kept that knowledge hidden from me. But you, you understood it better than anybody. Had you lived, you would have taught it to me. Fed your own children to your golden god, your most enduring creation as you had for hundreds of years. I would have learned. I would have been strong, endured what your other brides could not. I was worthy. Shall we avenge him, mother, bride? I cannot do it on my own. He is torn from me, tossed across the sea. The sea separates us, shall not let us be again as one. But you were born to this, innocence and cruelty, petal and thorn. It would have been different if you had asked. I could deny you nothing. I know that now. But this being before me was not human, and I had not fallen far enough to follow him. The spirit's power entered me against my will. Branches ran like blood through my veins. Thorns tore out my flesh. Too late I understood the gray woman's warning. They had outlawed all sorcery in this land to keep this spirit asleep within the earth. And in my thwarted desire, I had brought it back awake again. A voice called my name, over and over, very far away. I did not recognize it. An endless waste of foul pleasure stretched between it and me. The sky brightened harsh and pitiless, like a break in the clouds of winter. I recognize now the voice of my lover, my true human lover, not the beast that had tried to consume me. Still the spirit's presence smothered me. Black roses bloomed in my eyes, and I could not see. Help her, Parlin screamed, to whom or what I could not tell. I have. The other voice was cold and inhuman to my broken ears. Look at her. You can't. Do something. The sound of flesh against flesh. A slap. You did this. You brought her here. You... How could you have been so stupid? I loved her. How was I supposed to know? In the silence, wires grew like crystallized iron. The gray sorceress. She had judged me from the first, and I had met her every expectation. Why didn't you stop her? Parlin asked, with more will than I had ever heard from him. I felt the woman's anger in the silence. It wasn't worth the scandal. I doubt she'd have survived if you hadn't gone after her. Parlin took me in his arms. Roots tore from the ground and I cried out in pain. Get her out of here, the sorceress said. Take her back to her father. That's all that's left for her now. And with those words she banished me from your citadel forever. I cannot return to my father. I cannot let him see my corruption. This much mercy I still have, though it tears at me to perceive it. Grass dies where I walk. Still with each step roses bloom, petals red as the blood that thorns tear from hooves and feet. My lover stays beside me and refuses to leave. In my strongest moments I tell him to return to his wife, but he will hear none of it. Once faithless, in my infirmity he finds an excuse for valor and for loyalty. I will break his heart. I will drink all that is good from him, and still he chooses to stay. Near the border of my father's holdings we stop to rest. I can't, I murmur. I rest my head against Parlin's chest, and he strokes my hair as though I am still beautiful. Does he not smell the stench of death that clings to me? Or am I still sweet to him, like roses on a funeral bed? What is it, love? he asks me. I can't go back to my father. I don't want him to see me this way. I shiver. I am always shivering now. Where do you want to go? Anywhere. I'll take you. We'll find a way. Just tell me. You should go home. I won't leave you, Rosalia. I know where I want to go. One gift that demon spirit has granted me. He's told me where to look. My voice is sweet, pleading and poor Parlin has no way to know my intent. Away, I whimper. Away from all of this. Away. Across the sea. As far as I can get. Of course, my lover says. Of course. He could say nothing but. I have no right to ask this of him. But then, I suppose it is his fault for choosing to stay. I have always been like this. Charming, manipulative, deceitful, petal and thorn. I have always been the perfect consort for you.
0: And welcome back. You know, this one really kind of broke my heart, but not in the way I think you'd expect. The idea of my daughter feeling like she couldn't come to me, couldn't return to me for whatever reason, just makes me want to sob. Okay, let's talk about a story that dealt with the healing power of love. Podcastle 95, Sarah Monette's A Light in Troy. This one received a mixed reception from our audience and left several listeners puzzling out whether or not they liked it. Earth is My Element said, I thought the writing and reading were smooth, but the story simply didn't have enough content to be memorable. This was definitely not one of my favorites, but I didn't dislike it strongly. I just felt it was a bit... monochromatic? I like Greek history and mythology, but I just didn't feel this one. Dan Uli enjoyed it and said, It was not very exciting, but I saw it as a beautiful story that hinted at the potential for healing and love for all three characters. Festy451 said, I pictured a world very similar to ours where their Troy felt just as our own. The light, as I interpret it, is simply her life coming out of the dark place it had created during the war. The healing power begins with the feral child who becomes a surrogate for the child she lost. It also helps her to learn the librarian is just as human as she despite being a locust. Well, thank you all for those comments, and thanks to all of you for hanging out with us and letting all of us here at Podcastle tell you another story. If you like what we're doing here, please consider visiting our website at podcastle.org and making a donation. Every cent goes to paying our authors and keeping our podcast floating forward. And if you want to pick up a little something for yourself, think about hitting poddisc.com and grabbing t-shirts or archive discs of all of your favorite Escape Artist podcasts. Also, we're a week and a half into May, and that means that the Podcastle Flash Fiction Contest is raging on, so if you haven't dropped by the forums at forums.escapeartist.net to pick out your favorite stories that you want to hear here, now would be a good time. And if you dig horror, now's your chance to sub your flash fiction stories to the Pseudopod contest. Good luck. That's all we have for this week, sweethearts. We'll be back next time when Holly Black drops by PodCastle. Yes, that Holly Black. Until then, keep an eye out for elderly women going door-to-door offering bright red apples for free. And we'll see you in a week.
1: You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info.
0: And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod
1: and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
0: Arthur Simmons said, As perfume doth remain in the folds where doth lane, so the thought of you remaining deeply folded in my brain will not leave me. All things leave me, you remain.